uh, the meeting today and on Friday afternoon, uh, Ian and myself spent some time listening to the Sunday school pupils reciting their work, uh, catechisms, scripture, books of the Bible as well. And it's always a blessing every year to be able to uh, listen to the, the, the children and young people uh, reciting their scripture lessons. And it's always a blessing to be able to pray with them as well and pray that God's word will forever remain and abide with them. A big congratulations to uh, all of the Sunday school pupils. You did excellent. You did really well. And I'm certainly very impressed with everything. And so thank you so much for taking the time. And thank you to the parents for the hard work that you put into our teachers as well. And please take the Sunday school very much to your heart and pray that God would bless his word abundantly that would bring forth much fruit in these young and precious lives. Let us turn to the book of 1 John chapter 5 and the verses 20 and 21. This is our final study on the book of 1 John. Uh, Whenever we started, I, I did not quite know how many sermons or how many studies there would be, but I think we've almost 40, 40 studies in the book of First John. And I certainly have learned something from it, and I hope you have as well. And so we're coming to John's end today, his conclusion. And let's consider this prayerfully before the Lord. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Or let it be so. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Write it upon our hearts. Draw us near to you as we would ponder it today that we would hear you speaking to us. May the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. There are various themes that are dominant in the first epistle of John. There is the theme of love. John writes extensively about love, the love that God has for us, the love that we should have for God, and the love that we should feel for one another within the family of the church. And with that theme of love, there comes the theme of fellowship, the importance of fellowship. But the primary fellowship that John is concerned about is our fellowship with God, our walk with the Lord. And therefore, the theme that I have based these studies around is the theme of walking in the light. And John there in verse 7, which in many respects is the key verse for this book of chapter 1, says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and we need to walk in the light. But do you notice he's using the word we there? The idea of Christians walking together in the light, walking in harmony with each other in the light. 
learning together, growing together, developing together, serving together, reading the scriptures together, worshiping together, praying together, walking in the light together. And so there is the fellowship with God, but there is also the fellowship with one another. There is a difference, you know, between Christian friendship and Christian fellowship. Where you have Christian fellowship, you will always have Christian friendship. But sometimes there can be Christian friendship without true fellowship. You see, fellowship is a gospel fellowship. It's about sharing the Lord with each other. It's about enjoying enjoying Christ with each other. Fellowship is found around the Word of God. Fellowship was found in the place of prayer. Fellowship is found where we talk about the things of God with one another, where we at times share our burdens, share our fears, share our troubles, share our problems, but we do so within the context of Christ because He's at the heart of it all. But sometimes we can have friendship and it's purely a social coming together. And if that's all we want from the church, well, that's not what the church is for. The church is for true Christian fellowship. Coming together, growing together, that has to be the outcome and the end of all that we do within the church of Christ, that God's people might develop in faith. You see, the church is about evangelism, about reaching souls, winning souls for Christ, preaching the gospel. But the church is also about feeding God's people the Word of God in order that we might grow together, that we might make progression from purely feeding off the milk of the Word to getting onto the strong meat of the Word in order that we might grow up into Christ, in order that we might be able to withstand the fiery darts of the evil one, as as the Apostle Paul would write about to the Ephesians. And the church has to equip us for life And we are equipped through the Word of God. And we are equipped through our fellowship with one another. And we cannot begin to speak highly enough of the importance of this true Christian fellowship which produces growth in the hearts and in the lives of God's people. And John constantly writes about God's people and their togetherness. We have it here at the end, verses 20 and 21. And we know, we, we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. How he emphasizes the importance of God's people knowing these things together, understanding these things together. God's people knowing God together, the one that is true. And that's true fellowship. That's true fellowship in the gospel, the outcome of it. John, at the conclusion of this book, he strikes such a certain and such a sure note. Uh, Verse 18, he says, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. We dealt with that last time. Verse 19, And we know that we are of God. So there's two certain affirmations. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. That new nature that has been given to us, it is a nature that does not sin. It comes from God Himself. We know that we are of God in this world, in this wicked world that's lying in wickedness. We know that we are of God. We're certain of that. That we are the adopted children of God as we 
discovered earlier from Romans chapter 8. We know these things. These things are not mere suppositions. They're not mere philosophies. These are facts. These are things that we know. And verse 20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him. That is true. John here is affirming certain truths. At the end of this book, he is providing us with definitions of Christians, definitions of true Christianity. What is Christianity? What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to know these things, to be sure of these things, to be aware of these things, to live in the light of these things. This is what he is talking about. I wondered about a title for the message today, the final message of 1 John chapter 5. I thought of the word light. I was actually going to use the word light. I wrote it down. And yet the word light is not found in this verse, I know, but the truth is here. And truth is light. And light is the truth. When we talk about truth, we talk about light. It was one of the, the great definitions of the Reformation. It was the coming of the light. After darkness, light. Because the light of God's truth came. We walk in the light. We walk in the light of that truth. We walk in the truth. So truth and light are really synonymous terms whenever it comes to the gospel. But the word truth is here. The word true is here. It is mentioned more than once. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. Truth, 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 truth. Nothing more important than truth. What a word truth is. But what is truth? There can be different versions of truth. There can be various ideas as to what truth is. But ultimately, there is but one truth that is real, that we can build not only a life upon, but an eternity upon, and that is the truth that is in Christ. This is the light that draws us together today. Christianity is truth. When we are Christians, we have truth. And it's a real blessing to have that and to know that, to be sure of that. So very simply today, let us think about what these two verses, 20 and 21, have to say about truth. First, there is the coming of truth. And we know that the Son of God is come. This is... John's final great affirmation of the three and the most important. Because Christianity is based upon this fact that Jesus Christ came. That he didn't merely come as that child born of Mary, but he came as the Son of God incarnate in human flesh. We know that the Son of God is come. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, one of the most fundamental and basic facts of world history, that God sent His Son into the world 
for us. And in making this statement, this marvelously simple and succinct and yet incredibly powerful gospel statement, it's a little phrase, you know, we could just read through in our reading. We need to stop with it. And we know the Son of God has come. Where will we be if the Son of God had not come? Where will we be this morning? The Son of God had not come. What kind of a place would the world be? The Son of God had not come. Thank God He came. Come back with me to 1 John chapter 1. This is how John begins his epistle. He's ending where he began. 1 John 1 verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. He said, my eyes saw him. I saw him. And I can see John writing here as an older man. He's looking back over the years. Some of his colleagues, his disciples, who were with him, walking with Christ, they've gone. They've died. They've been murdered. And here he is. He's reflecting back. Oh, my eyes saw him. I saw him. I know he came because I saw him. My hands handled him. My hands touched him. I was there with him. After he rose again, I saw him. I, I, I saw the, the gash in his side and the wounds in his hands. I saw him. He's real. He's the truth. But John just doesn't end First John where he began writing First John. He ends First John where he began writing full stop. Because if you come back to John chapter 1, which we have to say make the assumption and scholars to make the claim this was the first of his writings and we come back to John chapter 1 the verse 1 he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with light and the word was in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the same was in the beginning with God all things were made by him without him was anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the here we have it the light of men and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So the light came to this dark world. This dark world is lying under the grip, under the power of the evil one. This dark world is full of moral darkness, wickedness, ignorance, unbelief. This dark world is rebellious. It turns away from God, where men are lovers of themselves rather than being lovers of God. Christ came as a light in this dark world. He came as the truth. And the truth was the light. The light was the light of who? The light of men. And the light has come because Jesus came. It's the coming of truth. But there's also the comprehension of truth because we come to the next part of 1 John 5 and the verse 20 and what do we read? And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we might know Him that is true. We've been given this understanding 
we might know him that is true. You may have truth that you don't understand. We have many truths we don't understand. The many facts we can't work out. Can't quite get a grip of them. Something that's because just of our, our lack of intellect, our lack of ability, we just can't work things out. The truth that Jesus came is the most remarkable truth of all. But it's a truth we need to comprehend. But how do we comprehend this truth? How do we understand this truth? The understanding of this truth comes from God. God gives us an understanding that we might know Him that is true. You see, it is one thing to know about Jesus. There are many people sitting in evangelical churches, people sitting in free Presbyterian churches. They know about Jesus. They know that He came. But they don't know Him. Don't have a personal knowledge of Him. Don't have this fellowship with Him. Aren't walking with Him because they've never come to faith in Him. It's only when God gives you that understanding that you, you know Him. John recorded our Savior's words on this note in John chapter 17 where the Savior prayed in verse 3. And this is life eternal, he prayed, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Jesus Christ was sent that we might know God. So comprehending the truth brings us to this place where we know God. But the real fact is this. Those of us that are Christians, we have only begun to get to know God. There's more to learn. There's more to experience. When you get to know a person, you, you get to know them with greater familiarity as the years pass by. That's true of marriage. It's true of a friendship. But it's even more true of our relationship with God. There's a growing in this knowledge. There's a growing in this intimacy. There's getting to know more of God. And we need to pray every day that we might have a greater understanding of this truth that we might walk with God. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, just turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul's prayer for the Ephesian people. Ephesians 1 and the verse 16. What does he pray for uh, with regard for the Christians at Ephesus? Sometimes it's amazing the things he doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray that they might have freedom from their pagan authorities who threatened to persecute them. I am not saying it was wrong, wrong to pray for that, but he doesn't pray for that. He doesn't pray that God would help those that are poor get a little bit richer in this world. God might help them with all these practical needs. Paul's prayers were focused upon the spiritual, focused upon growth, focused upon those eternal things that are so much more important than material things. And he says in verse 16 of Ephesians 1, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So he's praying for them. That the God, this is what he prays for, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints 
And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us, for we believe, according to the working of his mighty power? In other words, he's praying that they might know more of God. They might have a deeper knowledge of God, a greater acquaintance with God, that they might become more familiar with God, that they might have the eyes of their understanding being enlightened. Is there something we should pray for? That God would enlighten us? You see, the characteristic of the unbeliever is that the unbeliever is in total and absolute darkness. Total darkness. But whenever God works in the life of a man or woman, draws that man and woman into grace and into the gospel, the darkness starts to dissipate. Darkness starts to give way to the light of truth. And when the light of truth comes, the light of God comes, and suddenly God becomes reality. If God's not real to you, then your sin is not real. Then judgment is not real. Then hell is not real. This book is just another book to you. You don't open it and see, here is God speaking. But whenever truth comes, realize we are poor lost sinners. We realize that Jesus Christ came into the world and he was nailed on that old cross. For me, even for me. We learn that he rose again and here is triumph over death. The resurrected Savior. We learn that we must be born again. We learn that there is heaven, there is hell. There are these eternal things. These are truths we must comprehend in order that we might know God. But there's also the confirmation of truth here. Because we read on in this verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. The position of the believer. We are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. Constantly throughout the writings of Paul particularly, we have the word in being used of our position. We're in Christ. To be in Christ. To be inside Christ. To be part of Him. It means to be part of His body. We're in the body of Christ. Just as different parts of your body, they're part of you. So, The Christian is part of Christ. We're part of Christ's body. We're part of a building. The building is the spiritual temple. We're a living stone. Peter talked about a living stone being put into a a temple. But it's not a dead stone. It's a living stone. Church of Christ is made up of bricks or mortar, but of people that are living stones. God's building each one up. But ultimately, it is Christ's temple. It's Christ's body. We're in Him. We're part of Him. But I particularly love Colossians chapter 1. And please turn with me. It's not Colossians chapter 1, it's Colossians chapter 3. And just turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. And by the way, thank you to those who came for the radio broadcast, or not to the radio, to the television studio for the uh, recording on, on Monday night. That was much appreciated. Thank you so much for coming along. And I made mention of this in, in the message that, that will be televised with Let the Bible Speak. Uh, and in Colossians chapter 3, the verse 1 we read, If ye then be risen with Christ, 
Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth in the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. We're dead. You know, without Christ, we're dead. We're lifeless. There's nothing there. But the only life that the Christian has is Christ's life. Without Christ's life, we have nothing. We're in Him. Our lives are bound up in His life. But our lives are hid with Christ and God. So we're inside Christ, and Christ is inside God. Then, of course, teaches us that we're absolutely secure there because it's like a, it's like a treasure chest that's locked away, and then it's hid inside another treasure chest. So these lives of ours are in Christ, and Christ is locked in God. We're locked in Christ. Christ is locked in God. Any wonder the Bible says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But it's also a picture of absolute intimacy to know that we are in Christ and in Christ forever, that He is our life. All that we are is found in Him. He rose again. We have His life. And what a blessed and a happy confirmation that is. To be in Him that is true. And then he finishes off this verse 20 of 1 John chapter 5 with this statement. This is the true God and eternal life. This is the true God. The one that we are inside. The one that we are kept by. The one that we are saved by. The one who is our Savior. This is the true God. He's the true God. An eternal life. All these other gods that the Romans and the Greeks worship, false gods, pagan idols, that's what he was saying. There's only one true God. And we have eternal life through this true God. But eternal life means so much more than never dying. It means more than that. To simply think of eternal life as being in a position where you never die, that's to look on eternal life as the negative. We just don't die. What kind of a life is it? There are people who live and live and their quality reduces. We know that's what happens when age comes and infirmity sets in. Life becomes hard. It becomes difficult. Just to be in a position where you'll never die. Is that, is that enough? Is that how we sum up eternal life? If that's how we sum up eternal life, we haven't begun to understand what God has for us. Eternal life, it's about the living. Living eternally. But what is that living? Fellowship with God. Enjoying the truth. Being with Christ forever. What a blessed thing that is. We will discover when we reach glory that we never really begun discovering the love and the mercies and the grace of God. We learned just a little of it. We dipped our toe into that ocean, but we will be submerged into the height of it, the length of it, the width of it, the breadth of it. We will come to know the love of God that Passive knowledge will be filled with a sense of that love in a way that we never could on earth because we couldn't bear it. Eternal life. That's what God has for us. Oh, to be in Him that is true. And then, finally, we have the continuation in the truth. John ends this very interesting way. A final admonition. A little word, just a little word to the wise. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And what's that all about? They were surrounded by idols. He said, keep yourselves from the idols. 
Continue in this truth. Don't go back to the pagan ways. Don't go back to these false gods. You have the truth. You have the true God. You have Christ. You have eternal life. Continue in this truth. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. That's what he is saying. But this verse 21 also teaches us that this true God demands our all. We cannot hold anything back. We worship, we worship him alone. We serve him alone. And we keep ourselves from this world in order that we might live for him and serve him. He is the one true God. He demands our worship. He demands our affections. He demands our love. What are you really passionate about in life? What is it that floats your boat? What does it get you up in the morning? What is it you turn over your mind and think about most times in a day? What is it? What is it that really preoccupies your attention? Really gets you? What are you living for? There are things we must do in life. There are businesses to attend to. There's money to earn. and All those things are so important. They're so vital in order that we might get by in this world. And they're all the things we enjoy in life. God giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Things to appreciate. But maybe there's something in your mind now. Something of yesterday or tomorrow. Some responsibility is coming to you. Because it doesn't leave you. But it's filling your mind. And it's getting you away from the truth. That's an idol. There may not have been an idol of wood or stone here. But there's idols in our hearts. Things that take us away from Christ. And the things that preoccupy you, the things that really get you going, and the things you're passionate about, and the things that you regard as so important in this life, do you regard Jesus Christ with at least the same level of importance? And even that's not enough. You must love him more. You must serve him more zealously. You must be more passionate about him. And if we aren't, those other things are idols. And how many idols are there not? that we have in our lives. Because we're not giving Christ our all. We're not serving Him with everything. We are holding something back. And so we begin to see how this little phrase in verse 21 is so practical. He's talking to God's children. He's not just talking to children. He's talking to God's children. Little children. He's talking to us all. Oh, keep yourselves from these idols. Remember the church at Ephesus. What did he say? You've left your first love. They'd lost out with the Lord. William Cowper said, Whatever idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne. We worship only thee. And I'll tell you something, brethren and sisters. We'll not realize our full potential for God until we deal with those things that we love more, that we're more passionate about, that we're zealous for. And Jesus Christ, let's bow for prayer. Father, forgive us for our failings. Forgive us for our idols. Forgive us for being careless when it comes to prayer, when it comes to obedience, when it comes to simply sharing your precious Son with our love, with our hearts.
Lord, forgive us. Help us to walk in this truth and continue in this truth and to walk in the light and to not slip into the darkness. Lord, be merciful. For Christ's sake, amen.